everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hi, Pete. It's Matty. Matty. He really wants to be a podcast friend to you. Jessica Jones, episode 111, a.k.a. I've Got the Blues, is brought to you by the biography, autobiography of Diane Masagi blowing behind the scenes with a rock flautist on newsstands soon. Wow, Pete, we have done approximately 175 podcasts in the Fantastic Geek era, a few in the, in the sketchy times before that. Uh, added to the list although not officially that is perhaps the best intro you have ever done and spot on might i add thank you very much well with that pete it's time for some surveillance what did we see in the episode in with a flashback to the car crash that uh jessica and her family were in the fateful car crash a little bit of dialogue before she starts to come to in a room where Young Trish and old Dorothy, Trish's mom, are in a pretty heavy conversation here. Uh, There's discussion about, obviously, saving Jess. Uh, Trish doesn't know her. They just go to the same school. It's not fair. And then mom gets to bringing in, well, she doesn't want to have to cover up for a stupid sarlet who burned a nightclub down. Uh, But it was only a tablecloth. Pretty... uh, pretty interesting and and heavy stuff it is uh, particularly this notion of dorothy somebody who we were never meant to feel any sympathy for uh just basically saying hey let's take in this kid need so that we can change the tabloid conversation uh it's around this time when uh when trish and dorothy come into view and pete uh or pardon me they've been in view the whole time but but where it's it's made clear i think to the audience that uh, that uh, Trish is wearing a wig. There's there's reference to I think making sure her it's wig itchy. looks straight. Indeed, indeed, because they know the cameras are about to come in to capture this PR moment. And Pete, what I'm about to say here, I mean with zero irony, zero joke. It is a very Hannah Montana wig. They. It's I, so funny that you said that because in my notes, right after you see the image of Patsy with the title card on the TV there, I wrote Hannah Montana question mark. And this is the part of the podcast where we have a disclaimer that Matt and I are not big Hannah Montana fans have never watched an episode, except for the fact that he owns all the seasons on Blu-ray Matt, to you. Um, part of what you just said, not true. Um, I have seen, I've seen Hannah Montana on screen in that. I think she had a movie once and I saw a preview for it. I saw um, a ticket stub. I I can honestly say that what Pete is doing right now is a bit. I've never seen an episode <laughs> or a frame outside a promotional sense of of the the Hannah Montana. Uh, since then, she of course has gone completely nuts. But Pete, the scene ends with Mom saying, "Patsy's going to save you." Yeah, the whole idea here, the the child star background, really compelling throughout this episode in light of what goes on with Trish. And yeah, Matt, Patsy's going to save her by the end of this episode. It um, it does not come across as heavy handed in part because we're getting this flashback and future flashbacks, which uh, 
serve as a bit of an origin story, or at least completing the origin story. Uh, we can talk more about that later in the episode. But the notion that we're setting up a little writerly flourish of who's saving who um, is uh, is quite nice here. And again, kind of hidden hidden as set up by the fact that it's just a compelling, interesting scene answering some questions that we had about uh, the the past of these 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 two gals and one hell beast harpy of a mother one other point i think that bears mentioning given the way that patsy is able to save that trish is able to save uh jessica later in the episode by taking the red drugs the implication we've had earlier that trish as a child star has some kind of substance abuse problem and hear the nightclub fire because somebody passed out, not the first time somebody's passed out. So an addictive personality, uh, Trish Walker. Absolutely. And it's amazing to think here we are, obviously, in the 10th episode. 11th. uh, Pardon me, in the 11th episode, having completed these 10 episodes and barely into the 11th, that it seems so long ago when there were just these little references, episode two, episode three, about her past and you kind of go okay well i get it like you know even when you think back to non-stalker magazine guy will you sign my comic promotional comic book from way back when all of that it still kind of didn't add up and here we are in the 11th episode where we're kind of getting this fuller and fuller picture um but also don't feel betrayed by oh well everything was great until then they did a traumatic backstory this has always been part of this character yeah and when we go back to the present with hope under the tablecloth there, um, you know, blood soaked our other characters taking the nooses off Robin who throughout this episode just supplied some really the over the top, but interesting lines. You know, I just, I just killed myself. I just tried to kill myself. Why would I do that? I hate suicide. Robin is in many ways, or at least is becoming in many ways, the proxy for the audience, um, which is so strange because she is so strange and so foreign to us. Um, but she kind of, she kind of, uh, there's this emotional truth to her that I think people can can relate to in a way where others, you know, like you know, we don't have at least most of us listening, hopefully, don't have the pathos of Jessica Jones. We don't have uh, the, the child star spiral arc of Trish Walker and so on and so on. There's just something so simultaneously endearing about Robin, but also strange and off-putting. But then she'll just have these lines where it's like she's a little bird. It, you know what, Pete? She's Nemo with the one with the one little flipper that isn't as big as the others. And you go, oh, that's cute and sad at the same time. That's, that's Robin in a nutshell. That's an interesting way to look at it. You know, Malcolm is the conscience of this scene here. Even he saying they've got to get rid of uh, the sprinkler and the nooses, find a dumpster somewhere. And then Jessica comes up with the lie that they're all friends. They came for a drink. She invited a former client who killed herself. And uh, Robin can't lie you're the liar, Jessica. But she says, if you guys want to, you know, admit to yourself lynching party, go ahead. And I like too that Robin essentially spells out here at the at, at 
fairly close to the top of the episode, kind of where we are. Um, again, I continue to, to be amazed at how um, how they're able to do exposition in the show where where they still communicate things clearly and efficiently to the audience, but it's not – perhaps it's just because they don't have a concern that one week must have gone by since the last episode, a la broadcast TV. But, but anyhow, Robin spells out, indeed, they must lie, they must cover it up, and Jessica must kill Kilgrave. So I think the show committing to that more and more as we get closer and closer to the end of, uh, of this season and uh, ostensibly the Kilgrave arc. And when they are giving their statements to have the roundabout, if you will, of everybody following the story and Robin giving us the misdirect that she's going to dime everybody out before she finally talks about the weird thing, which is a young woman coming in and, and breaking a glass and stabbing herself in the throat uh man i hate mental illness yeah and it's an interesting way in which those that that scene is presented the camera's talking to the camera you know to to ostensibly the the, the cop taking the statements uh i found it interesting pete that we the audience can see the marks on their necks do the cops no and you might call (laughs) story baloney ligature as it's known matt well indeed but i would I would give the show a pass, and here's why. I guess the post-Kingpin NYPD is just not on their full game. All the all the best cops, at least best in quotes, the ones that were moving up, those are the ones that were the dirty cops now that they're all gone. Hey, I guess this, this detective is just looking them in the eyes, writing down the words, not taking in all the evidence. Coming soon, Marvel's NYPD CSI. Then, Pete, in the best transition of the old gumshoe stories, it's time for Jessica to leave uh, the scene. So the scene moves on with her. Jessica's picked up by Trish. Uh, There's a rather pithy line that made me chortle where Trish says that she's uh, getting used to blood ending up in her car. Uh, We don't know the car's thoughts on it, but that that could be a fun maybe animated spinoff or something. I don't know. Um, They decide to follow up a lead at the Riverbank Medical Center. Uh, but first, uh, uh, they're going to stop back at uh, at uh, Jessica's house. Now, Pete, I will admit, I initially thought, "Ooh, the Riverbank Medical Center is that the place where the remains of uh, of of uh, Hope's uh, abortion ended up?" I thought that maybe we were going down that story point. No, that here, is but not. clearly, clearly, we're Hammond not. Labs, but. I'm glad you repeat that, Pete, because let's just keep Hammond Labs file away, uh, filed away. Again, I have seen nothing past this episode, but there's no way that they said, Hammond Labs, Hammond Labs, and we're not going to go there at some point. Right. But trying to narrow the search here on John Doe's uh, to 12 hours, the problem is it's a needle in a stack of needles that most old uh, people are the people who wind up in morgues. And uh, they come across a uh, medical examiner, or shall we say a, a morgue attendant sent by the medical examiner. Uh, Jessica tries to say that she is and uh, doesn't exactly work out uh, trying to mind trick Maury Tuttlebaum. I don't know if in the writer's room they spend time um, for a Netflix show, for a cable show, 
uh, they spend a lot of time trying to get to time, which is to say you have, you know, on broadcast TV, on uh, basic cable, you need to hit a certain number of minutes, no more, no less. Maybe have 30 seconds wiggle room, but that's that's about it. Clearly, they don't have that here. Last week's episode was 45 minutes with uh, previews, we've, or with uh, uh, credits, rather. We've had episodes that uh, cross the hour mark. Um, so there's a scene like this where on a broadcast show, you might say, all right, we got to have a cute little scene. We're, we're, we're going to be short. We have to have a we have to have a, a you know a, a two minute scene to kind of pad things out. Let's throw some funnies in there. They don't have that story need, but the story benefit to Maury Tuttlebaum is just this great. I kind of read it as like this like New York ethos. Maybe that's just my 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 New York centric view of things. But this notion that this guy who works at a morgue he. He's some kind of morgue attendant, but he clearly isn't the medical examiner. He's not going to let her pass. He's reading his magazine. He's a foodie, even though, well, he's a foodie, Pete. He's got the he's got the the, the pear shaped uh, the the, the, the pear shaped <laughs> outline physique of a man who enjoys some of these best you know best restaurants in the world. And I a just gourmand, a gourmand no indeed. I just buy that Maury Tuttlebaum would be like. Eh, whatever. You want to look at a body for five minutes. No funny stuff. Um, and that gets me into this great restaurant. It's not like he's even having the bill comped. He just wants to get in. Sure. I just I buy the whole scene. It's charming. It's delightful. It's weird. It's wonderful. It shows that this program exists in a real world, if not our real world. It exists in a real world with real people. Love it. I think the writer's room conversation was more around, well, how do we show Trish to still have further influence. All right, we we check that her show is the highest rated, but you know, it's like the list at a nightclub, she ain't getting in. Oh, what can we do? Let's give him the food magazine. She'll call, she'll speak French. It further emphasizes her worldliness. And uh boom, he's got a reservation at Satare. Pete, that's where all the cool kids go after New York Comic Con, by the way. <laughs> um I I, again, it's just it's a wonderful unneeded scene, but you know, Pete, it's like the duck confit at Satare. A little extra fat adds some flavor. And I'm not calling Maury Tuttlebaum fat. I'm just saying this is a scene that is not lean, but it adds some extra taste. And of course, it's not the body they're looking for, but uh with an added um incentive that he'll sit at the chef's table at per se. He's going to text them if there's any bodies, particularly really messed up ones. Uh, I, I like this notion of the the, the, the network of, uh, or at least it's a network of one, but at least a network of, uh, I don't know, kind of not quite seedy underbelly of New York types, but it's it's kind of this, you know, people existing in the gray to help out Jessica Jones. I, I Again, we're kind of returning to this detective type story um even though it's a modern story even though it's not in black and white even though most detective stories that you think of from the 40s and 50s are men we're kind of finding our way back to that in this 21st century view well it's where she lives and to then go outside and have this discussion trish clearly speaking from some experience that she's got to get some sleep that you've been up for 24 straight hours. And she mentions the possible effects 
Jess was unconscious the night before. She had been knocked unconscious in the previous episode, so that's got to count. But then 48 hours, what's going to happen? Blurred vision, etc. Okay, that she says she's going to walk home, but instead hops in a cab and starts to check off morgues. Interestingly enough, Matt, the first one she checks out, St. Vincent's Hospital. Um, yeah, no longer a hospital because uh, old Pete's dad worked his residency at St. Vincent's Hospital, and it's been closed for a number of years. You know, old Pete's dad who delivered old Matt. It's a small world, but Pete, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's still there. It got that last-minute funding. You know, Pete, when you have a wealthy uh, industrialist uh, who wants to save the city, uh, like Wilson Fisk did, um, I know he's been... uh, He's been he's been unfairly put away. Uh, it's a better city with people like that in charge. By the way, Pete, I love the uh, it's not quite the introduction of an idea here, but the continuance of an idea about Trisha's past that we get in this episode that it's not all this evil, black hatted, abusive mom. Yes, mom is an awful, awful mom. And it's a pity that nobody called child services uh, at all, in, 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 you know, during the time of mom's, uh, uh, you, you know, custodial ship over her her, her daughter. Rain that said, <laughs> the, the the tantrum, you know, Tr- Trish causing a fire, Trish with substance abuse problems as a, as a teen. Yes, on some level, maybe this bad behavior is acting out against the menagerie that uh, that that she is in because that her you know because of all her mother is put there, blah blah blah, but. Trish is a flawed person too. She has a flawed past. She's obviously much less so now. But I like that it's she was you know she was a a a a a child who was making these big mistakes herself. In addition to the mistakes of her mother that she was feeling the effects from. Yeah, and the story doesn't pull any punches that she has the culpability in that. And what does she do? She ultimately makes the choice to take those red pills later on and as she's beating the crap out of simpson says it was worth it indeed well pete is it worth it to continue this uh this search of morgues without sleep it's not because the second that jess sits down after she arrives at a morgue that is apparently now a nightclub she flashes back to hope's dying dialogue and then she sees a guy in a purple jacket and I, I, th- I think that the camera work here is so wonderful because clearly she just nods off just for a split second. We've all been there. Um, but it's that she, she's still so tired as she wakes up. The camera does not make us think we, the audience, are seeing Kilgrave. Yes, she w- awakes to a purple tint. Guess what? She has Kilgrave on her mind. That's how you show it visually. It's a visual medium. Um She's following this guy who we identify by his shoes. And I, I, you know, it would have been, I think, poor storytelling if it was Kilgrave randomly walking by. Like, we don't buy her taking this for, for, you know, until it's resolution, until we see that it's not him. And I think that that is such a great kind of storytelling turn there. Yeah. And. Of course, she survives the car crash, the the truck crashing into her, I should say. 
and uh, people are trying to help her. In many ways, it mirrors the opening of the episode when she was coming to, and it's a visual reminder of, I mean, we still don't have one of the mysteries solved. When and where did she acquire her powers? Um, did she break the Game Boy because she was super strong, or was it like her breaking the uh, the brush in the bathroom? Well, I was going to say let's hold this for our theories segment, but I, I, I think we can. I, I can give you my theory right now because there's scant evidence so far. Uh, I'm going to go with she broke the Game Boy because this strength was already coming online, and. Um, if they don't do any more explanation than that, then here's how I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it as, gee whiz, there is a thing in the Marvel comic books where, you know, when you reach your early teens, that's when your powers start to show. It's Except called they, puberty. Well, <laughs> it is called puberty. It's also called mutation, but they can't say that. And I would just love it. I would love it if Putation? we end this season. <laughs> I would love it if we end this season. Puberty? With, what, what, what is going on, Pete? They, they could be either. <laughs> that's that's true, but I would love it if they end just saying, no, we're not going to say where they came from. Maybe those of you in the audience can figure out it's a mutant thing. I would just love it if that's that's all we get. Well, I think we're going to have a poll on our Twitter of whether it'll be putation or muberty. <laughs> wow. Well, Pete, no poll is needed to note that there's some great editing after uh, she's she's hit by the truck. We hear the honk honk, um, and uh, there's just the briefest flash, and then a little bit more of a flash as she's uh, slowly coming to. And um, as she wakes up, you can see that the crowd around her is still forming, an indication that she's only been out a few seconds. And uh, the crowd wants to help. Let's put a uh, uh, let's put your jacket under her head. Let's do this. Let's do that. Uh, she sees Fancy Shoe Man. It's not Kilgrave. And she's just kind of so dismissive of all these people who want to help her, uh, which I thought was an interesting comment um, on on where she's at in terms of her, her self-loathing and some great stumbling as she uh, she walks off there. Yeah, the one guy's wondering who will pay for his truck. And we go to Trish in the studio there with a guest, a uh, rock flautist. When Simpson shows up, she up and leaves the studio so she can uh, check in with him, uh, who the last time she saw him was uh, pretty violent. The beginning of this scene is proof of the care of crafts, craftspersonship that they take in writing these episodes. Given that the rock flautist, it's a little bit of a, of a yuck yuck. Um, it's an opportunity for Trish to show how, how she kind of is disliking the interview even before Simpson shows up. But if you just wanted to achieve what this scene achieves, which is have the Trish Simpson uh, um, uh, conversation, you could have done without the rock flautist. You could have done without the camera setups for the rock flautist. You could have done without casting said rock flautist. You could, it could have been uh, get engineer actress back just saying great show trish great show well i'll see you tomorrow and simpson comes in but instead they're going to just show trish doing her job they're going to just have this this moment in into a in, in into of itself where she's having this interview in a ridiculous situation and it's 
wonderful story shading that in no way benefits the arc of the episode, the arc for these characters, the arc for lessons we're supposed to take at home. It's just a moment that lives unto its own silly beauty, and that's amazing. The last time that she saw him, it was the issue of the violence, and he's talking about Kozlov's drugs. They messed with his mind, but, you know, now he's he's out of it. Yeah, and at least that's what he says. But this is the first. Well, we have we have evidence to support he's left later on. No, well, I'm, I'm well. I agree. Although him saying um, when he admits that the when he admits that the red pills turned everything metaphorically red, and he's quit the program as it wasn't worth it. I think that he is referring to Kozlov's program. But she is reading that as this drug program that he was on. So I think that she's reading it as, hey, I was doing this medical thing and this medical thing wasn't working out for me. The side effects weren't worth it. I needed to kind of change to change my my chemical intake, if you will. Um, and then, of course, P.T. says that he really, really wants to apologize. And that's, by my count, the first stutter stutter that we get from him. Yeah, it was an interesting flourish to add to him as he's in the throes of this uh, red menace, Matt. <clears throat> but she accepts the apology. There's talk that uh, he would see her later, that they would go grab something to eat. And all the while, uh, Trish is texting Jessica to try to find out uh, where she is and what's going on. And this is, too, a scene where we are committing more to this idea that we don't know uh, where his allegiances lie. Obviously, he's not a good cop because good shop, good cops tend not to you know, shoot other cops in the head. Um, but, hey, where's Jessica? He, he's really, really sorry. He wants to tell her in person. He, he already tried, Pete. She wasn't home. He already checked there. He's such a nice guy. Um, and there's just this... The show is walking this fine line between a sense of doom with him, but also not overselling it where he's like, you know, I want to suck your blood. I am the bad guy. It's just it's down the middle. It is. And when we wind up with Jess at uh, Trisha's apartment here, um, her left side, all purple, Kilgrave's color, and he had nothing to do with it. The irony, of course that she's got broken ribs. She makes mention even to a rib sticking into her liver. That's not going to work out for uh, somebody who's an alcoholic like Jess. Um, but she didn't see the truck coming, and this is really the follow-through from what Trish had talked about, uh, the inability with a lack of sleep to really know what's going on, and it's all setting up later in the episode where Jessica is powerless to save Trish. And they uh, wrap her in plastic wrap. I guess that's like the homebrew thing to do. Uh, Pete, somebody needs to get her some affordable health care and act right away. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, she talks about that she wouldn't save uh, first graders, puppies, nuns, even though not sure she, they still make those, um, you know, over killing Kilgrave. 
but there's one or two people in this world that she cares about that she would do this. The first hint she's made to Trish about uh, Luke Cage. Now, that's so interesting, Pete, because I read the one or two people as um, as reference to Malcolm. I agree Luke Cage is a better answer, um, but I think the fact that she is able to say, well, okay, I, I guess maybe it's just one. There's some, you know, referring to, to Trish about Trish, there's something kind of slightly self-manipulative about that. She's trying to make her world all the smaller. Uh, similarly, in this scene, she reveals that she didn't see the truck, but the truck driver is the a-hole because there are no <laughs> skid marks. Yeah. yeah. Or, or you just stumbled out into the street and the guy didn't see you until he hit you. Well, That's... it sets up for the first time something we've seen on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with this idea of humans versus inhumans. And we certainly don't have answers to whether Jess is in that inhuman category, but she casts herself differently. She says that humanity sucks and doesn't deserve saving. On the point of inhuman versus not, I think that um, Marvel moving forward, there must have been the decision, all right, we're going to do the whole mutant thing on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and call it inhumans because that lends itself to that lends itself to the medium of 22 episodes a year. And, oh, no, now there's a new form of the mutagen that's gotten out. Now there's this, now there's that. I think then there must have been discussions where they said, and we're going to have some powered people sometimes where we just don't tell you why, um, period. I don't think we're going to retroactively find out that Jai Ying came along and brought the diviner to teenage Jessica, you know, on uh, science... Uh, presentation day at the school which was two days before the vacation that ended up in the crash like they don't need to explain any of that it can just it can just be and back in trisha's apartment though i love how there's this whether you want to call it sisterly whether you want to call it maternal but there's this wonderful way in which trish is caring for jessica jessica's ready to just get wrapped up and leave she doesn't want to go to sleep all right we'll sit down for a minute all right, Jessica sits down. With that, the blanket comes out. Jessica's getting tucked in. Then Trish is turning off the light. Trish is going into her own room and shutting the door. She gets her sister to bed without saying, you have to do this. I'm the big sister. You're the little sister. You need to listen to me. It's just all you need to do is sit down and we'll get you to sleep. Really? And it's not even, it's not oversold. It's not confirmed in dialogue that, oh, I told you I could take care of you. It's just presented for what it is. And it's beautiful. With the flashback here of Trish telling her mother off screen that she's quitting, that she's not Patsy, she's Trish, identity crisis, simultaneously, Jess in the bathroom having her own, breaking the brush, and then pounding the marble sink in half and lifting the 150-pound remains up over her head in time for Trish to find her in the bathroom. Absolutely wonderful that we're doing the rest of her origin story, uh, or at least more of her origin story, uh, 11 episodes in. And uh, what a line she's cut. I didn't see the cut right away, um, but uh, why is her arm cut? Well, it's because she had a People's Choice Award. uh, Thrown at her. Thrown at her, yeah. And 
kudos here to the to the actress playing young Jessica. Clearly, she has figured out how to channel the spirit of Kristen Ritter. I mean, that's the actress's job, right? Is to be like Kristen Ritter, not to bring her own take on the character. And there's just something in her mannerisms, in her head bob, in her the sound of her voice, where mission accomplished 100%. I love the standoff, too, that informs their early relationship, apart the fact that Dorothy forced Jessica on Trish, that they have this secret on one another. Well, I'll tell my mom that you're powered, you'll be exploited, as opposed to, well, I'll tell people that you're a pathetic child abuse victim and will be treated to the lifetime special stolen childhood, the Patsy Walker story. You know, you can't go wrong with a with a colon in a title, if you ask me. So if nothing else, Jessica knows how to, she knows some kind of intro to writing type stuff. She does. With that, Pete, it's time for the flashback to end, and it does. And adult Jessica gets a text from the guy at the morgue. Pete, it's perfect timing. It is, but this John Doe is not exactly a John Doe. Crispy at that. I will admit I I was a little bit behind the presentation here. Like Maybe we were all supposed to go, oh, it's clearly Detective Clemens. To me, it was just kind of this... Nope, this clearly isn't dad. Well, there's the first sheet where we don't even see the person. No, it's not him. Second one's a burn victim. Nope. And I was like, why is there that odd shot of his hand? I don't see what I'm supposed to see. Um, but of course, she then reads the chart. And with that clue and putting it all together, it's Clemens. And interesting twist, Pete. Jessica infers that Kilgrave torched the scene um, and calls to tell Trish the same. Kind of adding some different oomph to the story here. Uh Albert that uh, Jess continues to look for to try to figure out where Kilgrave is. She and Trish make a plan to meet up at her place. Um, but that's when uh, Trish confronts Simpson in the hallway in front of the elevator of her apartment. Hashtag ironic. We're talking about the torture of, uh, of Clemens, the torture himself in that foyer betwixt the elevator and the door. And Simpson here is almost looking worse for wear. And the blocking of this scene is wonderful. Uh, they use his height at the top of the frame, I think, to really sell his size. Um, and how he closes the space between himself and Trish just adds to the tension of it. And it's worth reminding everybody listening that all of these presentational aspects, these are things that... that can be controlled on set. You know, if you're saying, well, oh, well, he walks towards her, that's just what he would naturally do. Yeah, that's a conversation that needs to be had between the director and the director of photography and the actor, uh, if only to keep him in focus. So somebody has said, go here, go here, go here. Uh, or somebody has listened to the actor who wants to do that and, and has said, okay, well, we all agree. The, the net result is he is this, he's already a tall guy, but he's this, hulking person on camera in this scene and it's 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 uncomfortable and uh and it's ominous and she notes that he's off and he says he's gonna gonna kill Kilgrave. another uh kind of repeated stumble there yeah clearly a side effect of the medication he's overdoing two guys show up from the elevator who want uh you know to bring him back to the dock yeah, and uh, 
literally two of Kozlov's boys. He tells Trish to go back inside, inside, and uh, as he's facing her back to the back to the goons, produces two more reds. I guess it's lucky Pete that he uh, he had the the pill container, but I guess had a couple had a couple loose ones in his pockets, a la you know, uh, a la having a you know like a little piece of gum or something. What's uh, up with these um, you know pills being chewable? They're like uh, they're like Mike and Ike's, Matt. They're not. They're they're uh, they look like swallow uh, pills, but he chews them. I think that that's just what you do when you are an actor, showing that you are consuming the pill right now and chewing a red Mike and Ike. Indeed, you know it goes from it it, it goes from stuff inside a gelatinous tube to unk. The pill has been consumed. Um, and uh, one of the goons says no one wants to hurt <laughs> Patsy. Patsy. And with that, Simpson fires four shots with his pistol and silencer, hitting each guy twice. Not a wasted shot. Two to the central body mass, at least one to the head for one guy. Uh, these guys are dead. Quite, quite dead. Quite, quite <laughs> And oh uh, man, Pete, that wasn't even on purpose. That was even even a reference. Now, am I repeating myself? Urge Matt, to kill rising. Have you have you are you seeing red? Uh, no, because I took the blue already. The I, I'm good are. for another 10 hours. <laughs> so I read myself and I blew myself. <laughs> well, I'm going to white us right out of this scene. And uh, that the next thing that happens is that Jess gets a call. Uh, oh, are you at my place, Trish? No, it's Simpson having taken her phone, dragging bodies into Trish's kitchen. Trish now locked in her gym. Yeah, and there's a great tracking shot of that line of blood that uh, no longer is in the now clean lobby. It's clear he's just scrubbed up. Uh, but that line of blood goes through her doorway into the kitchen. And uh, with that, here we are yet again. Who is this guy? He's not working for Kilgrave. He's not working for Kozlov. I guess we are supposed to take him at his word that he is kind of just a, a rogue agent acting in what he thinks uh, are, are the best interests of Jessica and his snuggle time friend Trish and, nay, the city and society in general to take out Kilgrave. But uh, he's not doing a great job because a lot of people end up getting hurt and dead. Um, and he is now on the way over to her apartment, Pete. Yeah, he tells her, though, it's uh, it's what he does. It's what he does. <laughs> and, um, you know, by the time he's leaving and Trish is starting to crack out of her gym with the dumbbells, we know, obviously, it's going to come to a head. Pete, just want to correct you there. Uh, Simpson killed the dumbbells. <laughs> It's funny because they're dead. Yeah. Uh, at her apartment building, Malcolm is looking for answers, for help. And this is where Pete, where I had read, he or she has told Trish in the previous scene, there's one or two people. Okay, maybe just one. Um, again, I will admit, I, I I would put Luke Cage higher on her list, oh, love, than Malcolm. But the idea that she's willing to blow people off to to kind of cut them off to freeze them out is just supported here by malcolm who's told sorry i got no answers for you for the group 
for the bunch of people who just watched a woman stab herself in the neck and uh, tried to kill themselves because they were under orders from a crazed, super-powered madman. Sorry, I'm going in my apartment and locking the door because the door lock, as someone is facing the door, Pete, that's the coldest goodbye of all. <laughs> and uh, for Simpson to show up not long after, and I love this tense conversation. We know he's up to no good. But we don't immediately have the sense that she knows he's up to no good. And putting the flyer out there about the police issue bullets and then the fresh burn on his arm that he admits he didn't even feel from having burned the CDC building down with Clemens. Just this great tense reveal between the two of them before they destroy um jessica's uh apartment i mean this thing hasn't had a beating this bad since the last time luke came over wow wow that's that pete i would drop my mic if uh, i was not on the second mic of the month here but it's a great fight absolutely bare knuckle um and Simpson downs some more reds to give him power equal to her own, if not uh, if not greater. Pete, let's just talk metaphors for a second. This man, he can't be as powerful as this woman without popping the pills. I mean, hey, it, nothing says girl power like I got to abuse uh, kind of gray market uh, military grade uh, war pills to, to be your equal, lady. How about... Um... Trish coming in and hitting him with the uh, fire extinguisher. That was that was uh, great too. But mid fight, right before she comes, he says he takes her to task. He says what your pal and well, I was gonna say and mine, but what your pal Matt has been saying. He uh, he says that she could have killed Kilgrave a dozen times. That she isn't doing enough. Hey Pete, that's what I've been saying, and I know she's been asking herself WWJD question mark. I know that she's been wondering what a hero does. Does a hero kill, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I like that he and by proxy the show are calling attention to the fact that she could have done more and more people keep dying because she is having this moral quandary. Yeah, that he talks about protecting Kilgrave when she openly admits she's trying to kill him. It's an interesting aspect and for them to wind up for the second time in an episode albeit in a different time frame in a bathroom with a dilemma about uh, what to do is full circle Matt Pete these two ladies trapped in Jessica's bathroom the scene quickly becomes you know I mean they're in a box how do you get out of the box here and there's the reveal pretty fast. Uh, good old Antonin Chekhov is back, Pete. This time it's Chekhov's red pills. Trish had them last episode. She has them now. And um, I like that through the haze of his own uh, quadruple taking of these red pills, Simpson still knows their threat. He says very clearly that only in conjunction with the blues to come down will the reds not kill someone. Heck, he says, Pete, at the blues help make sure that your brain keeps telling your lungs to breathe. Oddly specific at the moment and obviously taken as hyperbole. Yeah, and he throws the blues away 
says that uh, he can go for another 10 hours without needing one because he's built up this tolerance. And uh, she takes him and then she stabs him with uh, something there. It looked like it might have been a knife <clears throat> before we get this slow motion beating where she's just relishing having this power to fight him back. Jessica then jumps in, ultimately issuing the coup de gras with a refrigerator. <laughs> Perhaps, Pete, the first time in the history of this, the English language, that one has said the, that the coup de gras is delivered with a refrigerator. But, uh, indeed but that's it French is. coup de gras, so... Well, we, 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 I think we've appropriated it as we sit the here coup, in our... The coupe de grace. The coupe de grace. Uh, who's up for some freedom prize later? Yeah. Um, I like that uh, as he's there with the refrigerator on top of him, clearly defeated. Is he dead? Eh, maybe. Don't know. <laughs> There's no check for a pulse. I just like that it's... I like that both of their head spaces are such that they're ready to admit that if the result of this fight is that he's dead that's unfortunate that's not like oh my goodness he's not breathing what should we do uh part of it is is of course because trish is so clearly pumped she says she's pumped she's excited pete is this what it's like for her every day and then pete she starts to not breathe which reminds me of that time uh about two minutes ago when simpson <laughs> said that the blues make sure that your brains tell your lungs to breathe um that appears to have not been hyperbole because uh, she's not breathing. Yeah, and we get the flashback to that time that her mother was forcing her to vomit. It is, and I mean, do you get much more? I mean, it's 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 sickening, no pun intended, to see, you know, Dorothy trying to make her daughter throw up pizza because the camera adds ten pounds. It's just, it it, it it's the worst thing that we've seen Dorothy do and perhaps you know one of the worst things shown in the show obviously the the abuse caused by Kilgrave uh worse um but then Pete we get perhaps the most visually appealing scene ever of a teen rage moment as uh, as Dorothy gets thrown quite heartily into the wall by uh by Jessica there to save the day there to be the hero she isn't sure she can be knows and young Jessica is glad for that in the ambulance the attendant wants to know if this is coke if this is meth that uh, Jessica isn't helping by not telling um, but she admits it's some kind of combat enhancement it increases adrenaline and numbs pain um, and it's at this time that Trish flatlines so Sure, at least as sure as she's going to get that it's some kind of stimulant. The uh, attendant there, uh, as the EKG stops, gives her the juice, and we get Trish back. I like the fact that when the EMT guy is told what sounds to us as this rather kind of out there thing, you know, it's a combat stimulant, blah, 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 blah. He's just like, oh, well, that's new. You know, I mean, of course, as an EMT, he sees people at their most frail, their most tenuous connections to life. So, yeah, there's a new drug on the streets. Uh, oh, okay, boil it down for me. It's a stimulant? Okay, I can do stuff. I can try and counteract a stimulant. Um, 
it's kind of like whatever there's this thing that makes people super soldiers or uh, i don't know what whatever just what can i do between here and the hospital because that's his job and the kind of um the story magic of it all there's this magic pill and there's this shady dr kozlov group Eh, it's a stimulant we'll treat it with with what you treat stimulants with yeah and we get the nice reunion here she's glad obviously that she's gonna live and what these characters have been through in the present in the past to see where they've come from the beginning of the episode when they were first thrown together really is again full circle sisterhood pete sisterhood yeah pete the story moves to malcolm waiting for the group but only robin alive. and here pete we get a dose not only of the the robin ha-has but just her speaking as this 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 red-haired angel speaking the truth she tells Malcolm that he's no professor of Kilgraveism. He shouldn't be texting his location to strangers. Right. That's where that's where me as a as a viewer, where I say, "Oh, that actually is an incredibly dangerous thing to be doing, considering these are all people who have who are who are potentially susceptible to Kilgrave in terms of he knows where they live or he knows whatever." Uh, Robin tells him that everyone is alone; no one can help. The community-driven Malcolm, who was raised to help those around him, references made to mom praying for people in their final hours. Uh, Dad, I think, is a is a, is a um, community volunteer. Malcolm, of course, trained as a therapist. He doesn't believe it that we are all alone. He says he'd rather kill himself. And Robin, it's harsh, but I think it's just kind of like it's so Robin. You want to kill yourself? I know a dumpster where there's some rope. There's a noose. And she walks off and he walks off. Yeah, I love the information of it's really the repetition of his backstory. He had um, some interest in uh, community service and uh, counseling. The irony that he winds up uh, as an addict, but, you know, haven't been to church, uh, working with his mom, his father doing the community service projects. And, and here his his projects fallen through and uh it's robin who refers to him as mop top tells him that he got duped that uh you know uh she and her brother were all alone and um that that suicidal angle as much as uh you know robin hates it it's an interesting thing for uh malcolm's character that he's hitting rock bottom without drugs. It's an interesting comment on Robin too, because to essentially say to someone who is wondering aloud, but not suicidal, I agree he's rock bottom, but I don't think he's actually considering killing himself to just sit and say, Hey, you're talking about killing yourself. Uh, here's the tool to go do it. I know exactly where one is. It's, it's, it's harsh. And again, I'm not quite sure like Robin is this wonderful gift to the story that is funny and truthful and weird and all of these things. Um, but that line does not make me like her more, which is okay because part of her is just completely un- unlikable. Trish wakes up in the hospital and Jessica is there. I love how the camera work uh, is going in this scene. They're both kind of sideways and then we turn it 
Um, and then quickly we flip across town there to uh, a door opening. There's flashlights. A woman says that she's got them. Uh, a man calls out that the apartment's clear. And then Kozlov checks Simpson's pulse and tells these figures to take him. Uh, like uh, by the way, Pete Kozlov, uh, you know he's he's got ladies and the menses on his uh, special secret, perhaps governmental, perhaps off the books black ops team. Uh, but uh, glad to see Simpson is still alive. Too interesting a character to die by refrigeration. Um, <laughs> in that same apartment, Malcolm arrives, or at least in the same building, he sees there's flashlights in there. There's the broken again alias investigations uh door glass he's gonna call he's gonna let her know but instead uh, just simply decides against it he's gonna go it alone uh kind of committing to this everyone is alone notion and he's not getting involved pete jessica's awakened from her sleep by a text from unknown reed kilgrave um heard you were looking for me i ran into your quote unquote boyfriend if you hurry you can say goodbye. She hops into a cab outside the bar there. She sees Luke who closes a window and then boom. Oh man, Pete, that means that Luke Cage is dead and gone forever, but how will they bring? No, no. He just walks out. He's on fire. He's just fine. Smoky. Pete. Smolder. <laughs> oh, indeed. Pete, it's not just, it's not just Luke's clothing, which is smoldering. Although by the way, he could have stopped that a lot faster if he stopped, dropped, and rolled like we were all taught in kindergarten. Instead, he just kind of just kind of falls to his hands and knees while she tries to bat the fire out with her jacket. But then Pete, he looks up at her. She looks down at him. There's there's all sorts of emotions, but Pete, the underlying one is indeed smolder. And end episode. What suspects are our focus in this episode? Pete, let's start with Robin nearly spills the beans after where we pick up in real time in this episode. Uh, she's the one to bring Malcolm down at the end. Again, albeit under the idea that she's warning him, don't send group texts to a bunch of strangers who in the past have been brainwashed. But, you know, She's got her own agenda. She's very pig-headed, and she cares about herself. She doesn't really altruistically care about these other people. That is an awesome point that I had not fully realized, but is a wonderful observation that if, if the struggle of this season has been how do you care for others and Kilgrave has no concern for others because he cares only for his wants and his needs to the point that he will, he will hurt others, abuse others, uh, etc. So he's on the one end, Jessica struggling with how do you mix responsibility to yourself with responsibility to those around you? Yeah. Robin is more on that self-driven end. And the fact that her only concern was for her twin uh, and now that he's gone, she's even more kind of uh, independent. That's a really, really great take, Pete. How about Simpson, Matt? Downward spiral for the character. Um, I just continue to be amazed what I've said for the last couple episodes about him. Who is this guy? 
Uh, it is my full expectation that uh, in the next episode we get a lot more answers, in part because now he's been reacquired from the Kozlov group that you know said, are you sure you want to come back? Yes, I want to come back. Then he came back, then he left, and so on and so forth. Um, I hope there's some great twist that I don't see coming regarding all of this. I guess time will tell, but he's he is a he's fantastic as the villain of the episode or a villain of the episode. I mean, think about it. We have no Kilgrave. We have no victims of Kilgrave um, acting in this episode. You know, nobody comes up and says, I have a bomb strapped to me because Kilgrave says so. It, these are all just people that are in play from their own volition or have been sent spinning by Kilgrave's actions in previous episodes. But there is no villain driving this episode. If there is, it's Simpson. And even he is trying to do objectively what is best, which is take Kilgrave out of the situation. As the primary antagonist in this episode, abusing these meds that he had clearly had prior to his involvement with Kilgrave and his spec ops past, Matt. Um, it's an interesting way to cast the conflict. We don't know where Kilgrave has gone. Let's muddy the waters with this character. There's been so much addiction, booze, drugs, behavior um, within this series to bring it in and to use this character to not empower. It's the wrong word, uh, but distort Trish with the Reds, really put her in a place where she has to take these. Um, it's an interesting way to go. And I think if people are watching this episode saying, oh, man, she's taking the pills. It'll propel her closer to her comics future as Hellcat. No, no, no. These are bad pills yeah. taken by a bad guy supplied by a, a shadowy group who at best is doing the work on the books that need to get done that we want to pretend doesn't need to get done. You know, the assassination and, you know, kind of all, all of that kind of, you know, black ops stuff. But. These are bad, and she immediately gets the result of using them, which is that she's close to death or almost dies. Her heart stops, for goodness sake. And then there's Kozlov and his boys. His boys, one of which is a, is, is, is a lady. Um, yes, his boys and a lady. And a lady. We, we, Pete, we, we shall not call her a girl and get, get brought up. We can call them boys because of their 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 boys playing with boyish things but anyhow um as i said before i hope there's more payoff for this kozlov stuff because it's a really delicious mystery and it helps kind of i mean look i have every expectation that in the next episode we're not going to have Kilgrave is dead all are free ding dong ding yay <laughs> parade we're all free that's it, something like that's going to happen in episode 113 episode 112 let's find more out about kozlov and his boys plus lady cryptology where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes pete where should we start let's start you mentioned hellcat in the last segment here uh, Trish with the Reds. Uh, is this the, the transformation into Hellcat? I'm going to guess no, just because there has been no indication that these pills um, 
have a lasting effect uh that it is this thing you need to keep taking and uh it needs to be taken in conjunction with the the blues and the whites um i don't know if it's a tease i don't know if maybe they're just not going to go there with this character um heck pete we still don't have a uh a, a renewal for season two so maybe that's something that they're saying let's give a little taste for season two and deal with it then and if there is no season two then it's just it's it, it's a what could have been the concept of a drug powered superhero is an unsavory one i mean we look at captain america who was turned into a super soldier through a serum and a vita rays and uh you know banner with essentially nuclear technology gamma rays but now that it could be a pill and it, it could be abused We'd have a very hard time siding and identifying as a force for good with a character like that. We certainly don't do it with Simpson. We see the the writers hit us over the head with, well, when Trish does it, she nearly dies because her brain forgot to, to tell her lungs to breathe. Yeah, it, it it clearly is presented as a route to superpowers that... Uh that is not sustainable or is not responsible so time will tell as with many of these things time will tell kozlov's group and and this uh project this uh program finding simpson at the end here any chance that uh he'll report that trish took these he obviously has this soft spot for her that she'll wind up in the program I love having absolutely no idea where the penultimate episode of this season will go. Uh, at this point in Daredevil, it was where's the suit? What's going on with the suit? You, know, <laughs> you, you, you get a sense where you were headed. The suit's on the on the Netflix, man. When does it show up? <laughs> <laughs> um, the The writing of this season has been so incredibly strong, and to to be able to work backwards from the the last episode and still realize that there's this hole for episode 112. Um, I don't know. I mean, we can only spend more time with Kozlov's group. That's, that's just the logical story place. A major character is there, a character who has, uh, who, who can easily report, Hey, she has my pills. So whatever that is, if these are super, super secret soldier serum pills that need to be, uh, you, you know, brought back before anybody finds out what's going on at the special base, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that could certainly make for dramatic hay and the, the Kozlov group interacting with Trish and therefore with Jessica. I can't wait. I'm super excited. Pete, it's like, it's like a present under the tree and I can't wait to open it up. Thank goodness they showed us uh, Jessica's or shall I say Jules suit early on. <laughs> Why do you say that, Pete? I'm confused. No, I just the the whole teasing out the idea that at this point in the Daredevil series we we were uh, still yes 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 building towards it and and we're really where Tabula Rasa we we don't know what's necessarily to come where you don't. I thought you were making reference to one little thing that I knew that I, that I know <laughs> about one of the two remaining episodes, and I won't say it here. I won't say what it is, but I happen to have spied 
Pete, the last time the, the, the last time I was uh, visiting your stately manor and there was all the Jessica Jones scripts, uh, this, of course, going back to, to early November before the show had started, uh, I did see a script uh, towards the end of the pile that had, a, had a, an episode title that we have yet to see. So that, that's all I'll say there for everybody out there who's spoiler pure. But uh, I can't I'm 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 I if I didn't have other things to do, Pete, as soon as we got done recording this, I would race to watch episode 112. That's how excited I am. And that's probably going to get watched in the next uh, 24 hours or so. Good, good. Now let's check our mail drop. Pete, let's hear what the people have to say. James Bruckner, Matt, on our Facebook page, left a couple comments. He writes, another great episode. Thanks. Referring to uh, episode 110, a.k.a. 1000 Cuts. Um, He says, I have a third interpretation of Hogarth's plan than Mike and Pete did. Mike came closest to it when he mentioned her problem was arrogance. I've always seen that as her biggest sin. When she uttered the line, I didn't realize, I finished it as the compulsion would affect me. I believe he understood that Kilgrave had some type of mind control power. She knew that Jessica told her and she um, and she some understanding. I'm just reading the way it is here. She's some understanding to Kilgrave's victims while preparing Hope's defense. I just think she thought they were all too weak-willed to resist him while the strong New York defense lawyer had much greater willpower. So she was very surprised when she fell under his influence so easily. She overestimated herself and greatly underestimated him. P.S. I'm enjoying the new Supergirl series. It is the opposite of Jessica Jones, but the gem storyline in Human for a Day, that episode, was ruined for me because of how easily Kilgrave does mind controls people. Again, I'm only reading this how this is. There's a second note that was followed up a couple minutes later. I found Pam's storyline in AKA A Thousand Cuts to be the weakest of the series. I was also surprised she was on your villains list. She killed Wendy to save Jerry's life. It was accidental. She didn't plan on cracking Wendy's skull open on the table. There isn't a prosecutor in America that would take her trail. I think he meant trial. Pete, a couple of thoughts there. First of all, I take the highest of compliments from being called Mike. Clearly, uh, this listener, uh, a fan of New York's number one on the radio. So to be compared with the great Mike Francesa, which clearly... Clearly was the the attempt there. I say thank you, sir, for the compliment in calling me Mike. Um, Concerning Pam, I agree that you could call that segment the villain segment. That is where the bad guys end up in our podcasts. I will say in our defense, it is called the suspects segment for this podcast. Um, She did kill a person. And I think that we were just the function of the suspects. Uh, segment is to look at the people who have done bad things in the episode. I don't think that we were uh, particularly condemning of her actions, nor is the show. I mean, I mean Jessica, who's supposed to be our, uh, you know, our hero, the one we're following at the end of the day, does say you killed out of self-defense. I mean, such things are unfortunate 
and and terrible, but sometimes necessary. Um, yeah, just just looking at it, that's the whole idea too that we would be able to uh, think about. All right, what's the possibility that this person is bad? What are their motivations, et cetera, et cetera? I would I would say too. Uh, Killing somebody on TV is easy. To write Pam killing uh, Wendy, uh, it, it, it's easy to write that. To be the actress playing it, it's, it's great actor stuff. You get to, oh, they're not going to do this, and they're not going to feel that. And I'm gonna... um, here's the question I would put out to the listening audience. If you were Pam, would you have done that? Now, it's easy to say yes, because the person who I love is in trouble, because someone is acting in terms of Wendy is acting outside the rules of society with such, such malice that I need to act. And if the, if the action is one of overreaction that results in the death, these are the things that these are the the things that happen. But I would just say, if you walked in on that fight, would every person listening have been so quick to grab something, anything, not think about its weight and then smack somebody over the head? Because I'm not condemning Pam for her actions. I'm just saying I think some of us out there would have not known what to do. So in that, I mean, there's a certain level of guilt, even though I'm not going to hold Pam to the level of guilt of now you have to go to Rikers Island and spend the next 20 years behind bars. Let's remember, too, the manipulation that was going on. She told Jerry to uh, handle it the way that she had handled uh the ADA in her hands before. So there's certainly not clean hands when it came to that. We have another note, Matt, left also to our uh, Facebook page. So good to see it's blowing the up. Jessica Jones people finally uh, jumping into the fray. This one from Greg Gear. And he writes, a, here's a Jessica Jones thought for you. Have you noticed the theme of parent slash child relationships that pervades the series? Not only do all the major characters have parental issues with Jessica and the death of her parents, Patsy and her abusive mother, and of course, Kilgrave, but the catalyst for the series is Hope killing her parents, and then she kills her own child. Aubrey, I'm sorry, Audrey's motivation in 99 Friends was the death of her own mother. Malcolm talks of his own mother and her influence is maybe the sole non-destructive mother-child relationship in the series. I don't know what it all means as the destruction goes in both directions, but it can't be coincidence. Just goes to credit of the show that there are so many layers to the writing. There were a couple of responses here. I think it's good to point out, particularly Robert T. Frost brought up, let's not forget Robin's mothering of Reuben, which was an interesting, uh, point to make there as far as the twins were concerned and then of course as greg brought up to one of those comments almost forgot that the crime jessica and kilgrave stopped was a father threatening his children and wife parents suck so do kids winky smiley face on the one hand, uh, a cynic might say, hey, parental issues, that's low-hanging fruit for a storyteller. Uh, that said, there's a reason that it's quote-unquote low-hanging because we all have family issues. We all have highs and lows and happiness and sadness and so on and so forth. The fact that Greg has just spelled out how it pervades the DNA of this show is not something I had fully considered until until uh, seeing his comments. 
I absolutely love it. And I would even argue that if Malcolm is the exception, in, in that it appears to have been an extremely positive relationship with his parents, he is also the most positive character. Asterisk, he goes down this path of first being brainwashed, then hooked on drugs. So he he's dually addicted. So we don't see him as the buoyant, helpful character that he is until later in the season. But that guy who we see now, who is clean, who is caring, who's putting himself out there, who in a lot of ways is naked in this world of bad, bad people and still texting his location to help people, despite the fact that any one of them could could come up to him and kill him. He's the best person here, ostensibly because he's had the best parenting situation. And if that's the message, I, I totally dig it, you know. I, 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 the fact that we're coming back to family, Pete, um, particularly when there's, you know, th- there's even the mention there of uh, Robin uh, being the twin who mothers Pete. We've had some discussions in other pop culture venues about two twins and their own parenting of their own children, plural, that we've seen in the popular movie. Um, not children with each other, of course. That would be weird, even by <laughs> Robin Rubin standards. But. That's ha- that I, I love it. Thank you, Greg, for those for those uh, thoughtful words. They're absolutely fantastic. But Pete, you know what else is fantastic is how people can interact with you on the Twitter, in addition to the Facebook and the other stuff we're going to talk about in a minute. But how could people talk to you on the tweet machine? You can find me on Twitter at Peter P I E T E R J K R K E T E L A A R. 6,827 followers can't be wrong. While I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways. We are a fantastic geek that is fantastic with a PH. You can find us under that name on the dot com, the Gmail, uh, the Twitter, and but wait, Pete, there's more. What? Facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek with the PH, all one word. Again, being used more and more by our Jessica Jones listener and with just two episodes left in this season, get on there and share your thoughts with us so we can discuss. Pete, I have a question about the Facebook uh, or any of the ways that people can interact, but particularly the Facebook since that's heating up. Uh, I only just found the Jessica Jones podcast in 2016. You guys are done podcasting it. Uh, Can I talk to... I don't get it. My point being that just because you're not listening to these podcast episodes when they come out new, feel free to join the conversation on Facebook, on Twitter, on the website, on uh, Gmail. Even if we're done with a particular season or whatever, feel free to jump in anytime, dear listener, that you find the podcast and you're listening. Doesn't just need to be during the season. But Pete... It being the season of busy times, it's time for us to wrap up this particular podcast that we'll be back on Sunday for the penultimate episode, oh my goodness, and then one week from right now, finishing the season, we'll do a wrap-up episode when it's all said and done uh, the Sunday after that. So with that, Pete, I will say happy holidays to all our listeners and give you a final word, unless of course you're not listening to this during the holiday season, but you can have any holiday and I hope it's happy. I wish you a Merry Trishmas.